I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Call it out. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boss says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? You're certifiable! Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Hello and welcome to the 50th Spool Podcast. Half a century of podcasts. It's impressive. Absolutely. This month, as always, you've got me, Nigel Wheatley, and him, Pork McGill. Hello. Going through some of the most memorable and discussable... Trying to come up with words for the intro. Discussable. This is what so, we're kind that's of. That's not a word, is it? I think it, it's a Donald Trumpism where you just kind of take a word and you kind of tweak it. You know, cool. George Bush style. Uh, t- some of the most discussable films from the last few weeks, as well as previewing some of the gems coming our way in October. Pork, you're just back from holidays in Scotland. You do you see anything? No, Edinburgh? it was kind of disappointing. There was a very cool cinema I wanted to check out. I think called the Dominican or the. Dominion okay. or something where basically it's big massive couches for uh, seats uh, but, this is in the city of Edinburgh yeah mm-hmm. but I had seen everything that they were showing so I was like I don't care that much that is unfortunate yeah um, I was in Glasgow a couple of years ago and saw 71 the the, the Northern, the Northern Ireland. Irish drama and yeah it stuck at me and I like I like the experience of going to the cinema. Oh, I always like to and go. And it costs a bit more, so it feels like yeah. you're kind of paying more. How did you find the Brexit uh, interest rates and uh, exchange rates? It was rates good. A hundred uh, pounds is a hundred and sixteen euro. Okay, but it should have been like one thirteen. But you know, so the this mean man you, has to take yeah. Uh, does this mean you had a relatively expensive holiday in your head? No, it was kind of, I don't really I thought understand it was kind of cheap, but like, yeah, just thought it was fine. All right. It's All right. our golden wedding anniversary of podcasts then, is it? 50? Um, yes. Mm. Yeah. So usually, I guess you hit the golden wedding anniversary. Some couples then get to the 60th and some die before the yeah. 60th or the 70th. So, so we'll like, hope to soldier on. Mm. Um, were the golden girls 50 years married to each other? Why were they called? Or is um, that just because they were old? I think they were just all old in their golden years. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, speaking of, uh, of people in their golden years, here is a little bit... From Mattress Man. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back with a bang. We're just going to do one line at a time, then I'll animate and edit everything else in. There's no recession. Everybody can have what they want. Please welcome Mattress Nick. So, there we go. Do we know? Did, did, did you know what that was if, before we saw the film? Oh, yeah, because exactly. I, I don't know. The first, I visibly remember seeing the first Mattress Mick. Kind of like here's a card for virally thing, yeah. cut out person of a bit of an agent yeah. on the side of a house somewhere, and I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, it felt like, possibly like he was a politician for a while. Anyway, um, this is of course a documentary called Mattress Men, and it tells the story of Ireland's most famous mattress and bed selling person, other than maybe Harvey. Maybe Harvey Norman takes more of I'd a... I'd say he's uh, very well known in Dublin, but I wonder outside of Dublin, is he that well known? Yeah, who knows? And I'd like to delve a bit more into this Irish made mattresses, like where are they being made? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? There's, there's some sort of work camp somewhere. Maybe if someone knows, they could tweet us or something like that. Maybe we'll just tweet at Mattress Mick, where do you make your mattresses? And then yeah. they'll come back to us. It'll probably be somewhere like Navin or something. Ireland, a small county in China. <laughs> yeah, it's a small... We <laughs> we bought a small island off the Chinese south coast and just redubbed it Ireland. Yeah. Um. Anyway, um, Mattress Mick's real name is Michael Flynn. And with the help of his friend Paul Kelly, 
a few years ago, he was coming out of a couple of failed businesses and reinvented himself as the man we now know as Mattress Mick. So uh, there's now a new documentary, an observational documentary, or Obdoc, as your man, the director, called in the Q&A after, as if we all know that. Um, So it's an Obdoc um, from Colm Quinn, and uh, it played at the Toronto Hot Docs earlier this year, then played in Sheffield, and then played a fortnight ago in the IFI Documentary Festival. It was the opening film, I think, wasn't it? We talked about it in the last one, but we were lucky enough to be there um, watching it with Mick and Paul. And uh, yeah, and it's out on Friday. So um, out in a couple of days, if you're listening to it early or if you're listening to this after, a few days after it's come out, then it'll already be out. Let's not try to date this podcast. It's, yeah, make you know, it timeless. Make it timeless. So it's probably available somewhere for you. Um, outside the shop, uh, our good friend at Amma Waster on Twitter took a picture of one of the shops and there's big posters now that say out Friday, 7th of October on Virgin Media on Volta and in cinemas something like that maybe in a different order but I was nice. like on Virgin Media do people now know what that means? Dublin people do do they yeah, yeah. so it's kind of going to be on your horizon set top my mum wouldn't yeah or on Volta.e but anyway I think it has a pretty good uh, cinema showing anyway, um, but uh, yeah it's a kind of it's a heartwarming story it's a it's hard not to kind of like Mick and Paul and buy into their kind of weird brotherly relationship and it just sort of shows Irish men at their kind of weakest and their strongest that they'll literally kill you with kindness that Paul in particular has devoted a lot of his adult life it feels to making Mattress make this viral sensation but he doesn't have a massive amount of street smarts maybe in relation to how media and PR kind of works so he's spending hours and hours making these weird green scene videos and then you're wondering is he getting much done in terms of promoting the actual shops or selling actual mattresses um i also kind of have questions about his own like he seems to be so dedicated to that that he forgets about the real problems at home that he has looking after his girlfriend and her her kids who he is trying to spend time with and build a big house for them in santry the dream is to build or sorry is to buy a lovely uh terrace house in santry Mm. It's quite a grim documentary at times as well because you do feel very sad for Paul. Um, and there was times when you're watching it where I felt quite uneasy because Paul and Mick would be going at it and like off camera or like Mick by himself would be like, this is a joke. These videos are crap. Is anything actually getting done? And then off camera, Paul has been like, I made Mick. Like he's not saying, uh, giving me any credit in any of the interviews he's doing or any of the radio. And you're like, Jesus, this is a bit hairy. Like, uh, this, and we knew the two of them were in the audience, and but afterwards, you you realise they had seen it, and it's very on the money. I think there when you said like kind of this brotherly relationship, because the two of them do want to kill each other at times, but they have a kind of great respect for each other and get on with each other, and um, so that was quite impressive. There's also the element of it, but I, I think it's okay, and it's on the borderline where. You can feel sometimes a bit self-conscious where there's an element of humour in it, but you wonder, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm just like, aren't these guys hilarious? Like making fun of them. And yeah. Because there's a character, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who goes around in uh, Matters kind of promoting the shop. <clears throat> and he gives a lot of heart to the film, but you're kind of wondering, oh, I hope he's not being taken advantage of or like he's just being. Yeah, and not being taken advantage of in the work he's been doing, but in terms of how he's depicted in the film. Yeah. Right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like that yeah. he... Yeah, he's sort of there kind of for comic relief and he walks around and um, we actually, I have a little bit of a clip lined up um, with a little bit. This is what kind of launched the documentary and caught a lot of people's eyes. So we might just have a listen to how this is played. 
The best part of the day is between half seven and half ten in the morning. That's the best part of the day. Once you get through that part of the day, just coach it. It's flying. You're flying. That's what I say. That's what I believe, you know. I don't get up out of bed. I jump out of it. Can't wait to get out of the bed in the morning. Half five, half six, half seven, whatever time I get up. It's great. Ball of porridge. You hear you. Best of the whole lot. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Hilarious, right? Yeah. But also, I, I can completely get your point. There's a, a lot of brilliant... Like, I'm trying to work out how the access was so strong across this long period of time. Like, it does feel well put together. And just how much of it was somewhat staged or constructed. I don't, Probably not, none, but it's just interesting that all these key conversations between the pair of them happened to be filmed like they weren't followed around by a full-time film crew by any means mm. um and colin quinn was very honest about the budget that it took them a while to kind of get the money and it was a while before i think it's element distribution kind of came on board and and all that so like for a long time he was just kind of shooting this these kind of side shots which um and stuff so uh but yeah, it's out on Friday. I can't remember what I wanted to give it, but probably in the three and a half. Yeah, that's about right. It's it's well worth seeing. I think it's a good documentary and kind of pulls in the heartstring. And people from Dublin, I think, will have a kind of... Yeah, like, oh, that's it's a real... Behind them. Yeah, and it's sort of a love letter. Like, we see a lot... I don't know, maybe people from outside Dublin will hear about Dublin's north inner city for the very wrong reasons at the minute, due to the, the almost legendary... Uh, Kinnahan, what's his family? Uh, Hutch. Hutch. Kinnahan and Hutch, yeah. sorry. Feud that's going on at the minute. But this sort of reclaims Dublin's north inner city for a different kind of thing and shows the characters and the stories and the, the heart and the goodwill that kind of exists there. Um, but uh, yeah, another film with heart and goodwill. Is Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, I'm getting very good at my intros, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. This is, has taken 50 to, to be, 50 podcasts to be able to link like that. Yeah. I don't think we'd have been given 50 podcasts if we had our own radio show, but, you know, a lot to be said for it. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of set in New Zealand. I don't know if it's North or South Island because they don't really reference the city, I don't think, at any point. Uh, it's a police lady from a city, but I can't remember. Yeah, so anyway, it's on one of the islands in New Zealand and uh, we'll take a wee clip here because I think it kind of sets up the whole film. Ricky Baker, now you are 13 years old. You are a teenager and you're as good as gold. Ricky Baker, Ricky Baker, happy birthday, once rejected, now accepted by me. And Hector, we're a trifecta. Ricky Baker, ah, Ricky Baker, ah, Ricky Baker. So there, you wouldn't have heard them, but uh, if you look at the clip online, you would have seen uh, Sam Neill, who plays Heck. He's kind of like an uncle figure to Julian Dennison, who plays Ricky. He's kind of like this... Ricky. Um, Ricky. Ricky. He's a big, and uh, he's uh, an orphan, um, kind of modern day orphan, not like Charles Dickens uh, orphan. And uh, this family have decided to adopt him. Well, it's mainly um, his 
you know surrogate mother I suppose uh, who we heard singing the clip and the song there and Heck is her husband and he's very reluctant you kind of find out over the course of the film he wanted nothing to do with Ricky uh, through some circumstances that happen Ricky uh, runs away he's had enough and he's like I'm way off into the bush and then Heck goes in search of him and did can they... we not give away the... is it well it's kind of not the it's trailer it's interesting we had different yeah, yeah. no I kind of worked but once out, but having seen the that... trailer and then two minutes in you kind of figure out what's going to happen yeah but we won't we won't yeah um, so Sam well not Heck who's played by Sam Neill and Ricky are then on their own in the woods and then it becomes apparent to them that it looks like Heck has kidnapped Ricky, so there's like a manhunt out for the two of them, the two of them are fugitives, and then it's them kind of trying to escape from the authorities and get to terms with each other, like the two of them kind of hate each other at the start and then eventually kind of come together. Uh, It's directed by Taki Watiti, who is, he plays a minister in the the film, which is possibly my favourite scene in the whole film. Um, He directed, or co-directed, What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, another hilarious film from a couple of years ago um, set in New Zealand and again Reese Darby has another cameo in this who people will recognise as Murray from Flight of the Concords uh, great kind of film it's best if you don't see the trailer because it has a lot of the funniest pits in it exactly yeah a lot of the great lines that um, will really kind of catch you you're like oh I already know this bit This is my, this is my favourite bit is the Lord of the Rings bit but I knew it was coming because I'd seen it in the trailer. So yeah. it's difficult. And I mean, an independent comedy like this, what could they have done for a trailer? Yeah. Uh, they could have just shown some stuff in the first 10, 15 minutes. So. True enough. It's tough. But like kind of, once you have Sam Neill and a couple of others, you think there's enough kind of names for it to, yeah. to get seen. Uh, very funny. Lots of heart. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it'll, it's one I'll kind of be buy and be like show to my parents or something to be like here we should watch this or something you know yeah and again sells New Zealand um, people as I don't know like this thing with Dublin's Northside from Mattress Mick that this is a really nice showing from like what New Zealand society how they're all good tough people but also they have a whole lot of uh, goodwill going on there as well so and also probably one of the funniest things the kid I'm very curious to see what kind of stuff he ends up doing yeah and whether he stays as heavy as he is or whether he kind of grows and becomes a different kind of actor or gets different kind of roles I don't know yeah Um, the one thing while you were on holidays uh, Tiki Waktiti's What We Do in the Shadows is going to be a TV show that was announced last week I don't know many more details or what or made by who yeah um, so just want to look out for it so hopefully they won't fuck that up yeah yeah exactly yeah let's be honest Um, moving on that's not a great link I can do better Mm, moving so a movie that shows people moving house uh, as we move on is uh, that's good uh, Little Men which is Ira Sachs follow up to Love is Strange which I don't know if you saw Love is Strange it's from a couple of years ago and showed at a New York and sort of middle-aged to old-aged New York uh, gay couple played by John Lithgow and Mm. Alfred Molina um, so this is his follow-up to that. He is staying sort of within a comfort zone of New York residential stories, whereby in this, um, it's the story of a family who move into an apartment above a shop. So Greg Kinnear plays the dad, and they're moving into the apartment because Greg Kinnear's father has passed away. Um, and now they've inherited this, and they've left their house in the in somewhere in a tiny apartment, maybe in Manhattan. It sounded like... 
I don't know. I can't remember how it worked. That were they giving that one up and renting it out and then moving to the slightly bigger place? Uh, they've one son, um, played by Jake Jardine, who plays Theo. Um, and so they move it on the bottom floor. There is a dress shop, uh, which <clears throat> there's a woman there, Leonore, and she is paying really low rent. She was friends with the father, and now. Uh, Brian, Greg Kinnear's character, and his sister, played by John Slattery's wife, uh, which is fun, Talia Balsam, you'd know her face, mm. um, is, they kind of want her, want her out and want to make as much money as possible. She's paying like, you know, a grand and they reckon they can make four and a half thousand because it's Brooklyn and it's blah, 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 blah. But uh, Leonore has a son, the son and uh, Brian's son become, you know, best friends, like in- inseparable and... So it kind of conflicts with their relationship if an eviction has to happen and all this kind of thing. So it's this sort of thing. I know you had a next-door neighbour, pal. I had a next-door neighbour, pal, who, uh, you know, you become so close to when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And you then people drift as, like... And it's not drift due to, like, arguments, really, between the people. It's just due to circumstance. So maybe different schools or different... Your parents move away or something happens that you just don't see that person. And then the relationship at that point just sort of changes and evolves and stuff so um that's really where this film's strongest is kind of showing that and i kind of took a lot from it uh in that way and i don't know there's questions all sorts of questions because at the age of 13 you don't really so badly formed in terms of your you know sexual identity whether you like comic books or science or Mm. sports or acting and all this both these kids want to go to some performing school in laguardia um the airport yeah that's exactly what i thought i was like i guess that's in the airport or near it <laughs> and so that's their kind of shared goal that they both want to kind of do acting but yeah it's it's one definitely to kind of catch it you haven't seen it yet but is it on your watch list i think so there's a lot coming out and being out i think but i was looking at what's coming out in october and it was a bit like oh. yeah well maybe but- catch up little men was in the lighthouse really small crowd on opening night i got to see it friday night like so maybe it actually isn't there anymore oh, don't okay. really know but uh, definitely one to, to watch and will be on my list so far, along with The Hunt for the Wilder People. This is the clip we can play in our end of your show on RTE1. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so we're now going to talk about animation. Oh, we're I haven't talked about animation for a while, or good animation. Yeah. Um, so this is Kubo and the Two Strings. It was in Cineworld for about two days and had got great reviews. And I was like, I can't wait to see that. Then went, I was like, oh, it's gone. I was like, maybe it's gone from everywhere, but no, it's basically in every other cinema apart from around the country. Like, it's like, you can go see it in Drogheda. Yeah, yeah. And you'll find, yeah, because I was going to go see it in Blanchardstown. It just didn't work out last week. So I still haven't got to it. Which Uh, is weird. I don't know what Cineworld are playing at because um, the same happened with uh, Hunt for the Wilder People that they put on one showing of it at 10 in the morning and got rid of the evening ones. Yeah. I don't know what the big heavier ones were that pushed it out. Maybe it's like, you know, Moneyball, where there's someone just analysing all the seats and they're like, no, we're going to cut it. Yeah, but after after, after a week, it's harsh. I got to see it in Cork. There, you know. Is uh, that where you saw it? Yeah, I went to see oh, it in Cork. so your holidays, you did get and, to see. That was uh, part one of your four-part holiday. Yeah, so it was hilarious. We were sitting in screen and the trailers were on and there was no sound. And I was like, uh... Then, what cinema was it? Sky something. A large uh, multiplex Oh yeah, style. multiplex. It wasn't like yeah. a cool indie one because the kino's gone. Ooh. And uh, the... Still no sound. I was like, oh, come on. No. And I was like, there's lots of people here with kids. Some parents get up and a couple of parents get up to say there's no sound. So then it stopped. I never the guy who gets yeah. up. I just go, 
uncomfortably look around. If there was an app, I would take out the phone. So then it went back to the start and was like, no, still no sound. And then a guy came in. He was like, uh, would you mind moving to screen one? Because we can't get this fixed. So just put it on there. And I was like, brilliant. Did you have to watch the trailers again? Yeah. I was nine if it was one for trolls, which I know I really don't want to see. Just yeah, Timberlake one. A lot of marketing for it. I'm not sure I was yearning for a troll revival. No. Um, they're a toy. Did you have a troll? No, my sisters did. Oh, yeah, no, clearly I had sisters too, <laughs> and they were more mean to me and made me have one. I think mine was a rock star, kind of male focused. Yeah. Know, their hair was cool. Yeah. That was it. So, Kubo and this two strings. Um, it's fantastic animation. Saw a trailer for it a couple of weeks ago before a film, and I was like, geez, this looks great. I didn't even think films like got animated like this anymore. Um, it's directed by Travis Knight. It's his first feature as a director, um, but he has been involved in Box Troll and Paranormal, which Col- are two... Pro- former producer Colin uh, loved Box Trolls. Box Trolls is brilliant. Movies. Yeah, I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really dark, proper, kind of... Here's a film for kids, but it's quite scary. Mm. Similar vibe with Kubo and the Two Strings. It stars... Um, or it's about a kid called Kubo who is missing one eye because his grandfather stole it out of his head and you find this out within the first two minutes you're like okay cool like um so it really isn't kind of like a sweetie kind of film and he tells these stories through getting like origami figures but and when he when he plays his guitar the origami paper comes to life and acts out the figures and everything but then he has to go on his own journey because the reason his grandfather stole his head is very sinister and his sister's his mom's sisters, his aunts, are coming to take the other eye out of his head. This would be very abstract for me if I was an eight-year-old. I'd be like, what are they going to do? So Why is Grandad going near my head? Kubo is voiced by Art uh, Parkinson. Uh, Beetle is voiced by Matthew McConaughey and Monkey, who kind of accompanies Kubo on his quest, because then Kubo has to go on this quest to find armor so his grandfather won't be able to attack him. So he meets Beetle along the way, who's kind of... You get this vibe of, like, um, Don Quixote, kind of, this kind of knights and, uh, you know, samurai warriors. It's kind of has a Japanese style in it. And then Monkey is voiced by Charlie Strawn, who kind of accompanies him and is his, like, moralistic compass and everything. But the imagery in it is fantastic. There's a part when they have to go into the sea to find a piece of armor. And it's like, it's really like Jason and the Argonauts. And it's like, you can... that's the bit that's in the trailer where there's some Beatles. Uh, no, so they're on my the guitar water. gently. We- no, does oh, it that's some of that. It is ends that at the end it? with oh, while well, my okay. guitar gently weaves. Okay. But uh, the thing about Under the Water is there are ginormous eyeballs and if you look into the eyeball it shows you like this imaginary world that gives you everything you want to all your desires but uh, you drown obviously because you are you forget to breathe and everything but the eyeballs are just huge and it's fantastic so it's full of all this amazing imagery it's quite dark doesn't end happily ever after spoiler alert but it's just a really good really reminded me of like the never ending story kind of films like this quest films and I was just like it's fantastic brilliant and it's from Leica who are the company and they've done we were talking about this earlier uh, the box trolls Paranorman yeah remember that and then Coraline that's their four features oh brilliant so all all like I'm just looking at the Rotten Tomatoes ratings um, we're basically a podcast powered by Wikipedia. Ninety percent, eighty-seven percent, seventy-five percent, and then this has ninety-seven percent. So it's the best movie they've made. So I would thoroughly in, in, encourage everybody to go see it. And it is and one like, to bring if you've got young folk, young yeah, kids. Because normally we talk about films nephews. that you can only go see in like the I Fire the Lighthouse, but yeah. this is genuinely all around the country. So go see it. Brilliant. Um, speak. 
No, I don't have a link. Uh, the Girl with All the Gifts is just came out this past week, or maybe the week before that. But um, it's a feature film debut from Colin McCarthy, and it's an adaptation of the hit novel. Colin McCarthy on board Snip now? Um, no. Another guy, okay. What was that? That was... Do you remember the guy who was charged The guy who with did the haircuts and the... On the government and everything, yeah. Oh, Colin. That's interesting. It's our yeah. second feature from a Colum, an Irish Colum oh. uh, director. Or is he... Is he... Uh, oh, I don't know. No, don't, maybe he's not Irish. Um, it's an adaptation of a book that I haven't read. Um, and I try to read all the books with the girl. You read who, the girl on the train? Absolutely. No. We're going to come to that. That's the link. You killed the link. Sorry. Man. Anyway, um, so Colin McCarthy has never directed a film before, but... He has done, um, he's done lots of TV stuff. So he's done uh, some episodes of Sherlock, Peaky Blinders, uh, Ripper Street, stuff like that. And then he's working with the guy, Mike Carey, who has mainly uh, written scripts and stuff for comic books and stuff. So kind of relative unknowns, but lots of work done in the industry, but this is their first feature. Um, It's a dystopian, apocalyptic British zombie film, which has horror and drama things so it's kind of hard like for dystopian and zombie i've automatically checked out yeah but this is 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 clever in terms of what it does like if you can remove the fact they're zombies it could be anything else so they've taken a fresh approach to handling that and they the zombies are they call them hungries in it and uh they sort of sleep if you like they enter this kind of docile state unless they're stimulated so you get these really um are the junkies they're basically a little bit like that where um there's a fungus growing on their brain and glenn close plays um a scientist working in an army camp trying to sort of explore this paddy considine works on that army camp and then uh Gemma arterton is also on the camp the key, the key thing that makes it unique is that there are some there's a strain of like young they're reluctant to call them children because technically they're not but this is where the zombie when they were babies kind of ate their way out of a the womb if you like and then became self-sustaining but they appear as children and everything with that and have human conversations and are oh, okay. they are educated and Gemma Arton's Miss uh, Justin O is her name uh, she kind of teaches them and so they're controlled and in the army camp they've gotten this thing of using like blocker gel so like the smell of human flesh the, the kids don't hear you know hear that Aren't or whatever. Triggered. Okay. Yeah, so it works. Like it's slightly you know it's all kind of feels a bit like a kind of a metaphor for like some sort of immigration Brexity kind of thing. But it actually does work. And the reason it really works is because there's a, one of the girls. Her name is Melon. Uh, her the character's name is Melanie, and she's played by Senia Nanula, um, and she's a newcomer uh, to the screen. And she, yeah, she's sort of mesmerizing like and it's it's there's an attack on the army camp and that group of people who I just need to say the top line cast of the film then are out on their own and they have to kind of go through cities and they're in London and it ticks a lot of those like we've sort of seen it before pretty good CGI and like they walk through you know Next and McDonald's and walk past Barclays Bank that's all run down because the apocalypse is happening and you're like not a whole lot of new stuff visually here for me but this different take by having the hungries on it like we do get a scene going where they're you know silently trying to creep through a shopping center trying not to poke them because they've all the blocker gel and stuff so oh, okay. it sort of works yeah. um it's 14 years since i think dawn, dawn of the dead is it 12 years no it's 2004 12 years since on the that kind of kick re kicked off this zombie thing we can probably give it a bit of a rest 
now yeah, at the stage, yeah. but yeah, they could easily have done this with vampires or some other thing. And I don't know, reminded me werewolves time. Well, yeah, more from the Twilight kind of people. But yeah. anyway, it's a little bit like The Walking Dead in the lesser good things about it, the TV show. But then the good bits about it will make you think of Children of Men, Never Let Me Go, um, even 28 Days Later, I suppose. A little bit of the questioning what the hell could go wrong with society and stuff. Um, loses a little bit in the middle, but well worth kind of watching. Maybe well worth reading the book. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Do you want to talk yeah. for a minute about The Magnificent Seven? I haven't seen this. We have a lot of alternating back and forth. Yeah, it's yeah. like word tennis. So I kind of tore this apart on the website review. So I kind of suppose I just rehashed that a bit. Um, pointless remake of uh, Average Western from the 60s. Um, there, that's the tagline. Very good. Uh, it's directed by uh, Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day and The Equalizer, who both starred Denzel Washington, who so happens to be the main character in here. He plays Chisholm, the kind of head... Honcho of the Magnificent Seven. He's like a, a deputy, what's the word, like bounty hunter, uh, marshal, uh, who can go around catching people. He comes into town, gets this guy, and then this woman who seeks his services, uh, um, Haley Bennett, who is played by Emma Cullen, um, she says, look, can you come and help help my town? It's going to be, you know, ransacked by Bart Bogue, who's played by Peter Sarsgaard, who's like this comic book villain not even slightly scary menacing, just over the top ridiculous. And Denzel's like, yeah, sure, okay. He knows him, but you don't really know why he knows him. So he kind of has an mm. ulterior motive, which is figured out at the end. Along the way, then he gets Chris Pratt. Now, Chris Pratt, uh, he plays Faraday. The two of them are kind of the main characters. And if you watch the original, you've got Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen are the original guys. So here we've got uh, Denzel and Chris Pratt. And then they go and round up the other five guys, most noticeably Ethan Hawke. Um, Ethan Hawke's probably one of the best things about it, but he's in it far too short. Because he's in the be- he's the best actor working today. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he's very good in this. Uh, Chris Pratt is funny. Doesn't have much to do. Denzel is pretty much doing everything he's doing, done since doing Denzel. Yeah, since Training Day, you're just like right, fair enough. Loads of explosions. No real setup or story. Um, shocking, shocking lack of kind of women characters in it, and like they created this female character in Emma Cullen and. She wasn't in the original, so it was just kind of like then to sideliner. You're kind of going like, why did you even bother to create her in the first place? Um, and yeah, then... and it got a certain amount of praise for having like a multi-ethnic cast. But you made the point that it truly would have been revolutionary if two of the two of the Magnificent Seven were women or something. You yeah, know? Like, rather than just oh great they cast a Latino because, actor. And yeah, then and they're sent it in the time, were, and like yeah. no references made to the color of Denzel Washington's skin, which is just ludicrous. And then any Native Americans in it just carry out violence on each other so they can't be accused of any racial tension against Native Americans. And you're just like, this is all nonsense. And the big thing, the reason I still go back to uh, The Lone Ranger as being one of my favourite kind of reboots of late is because it knows exactly what it is. It's a guy and a horse and they play the music about 20 minutes in. And you're like, brilliant. Mm. This, the main thing people know Magnificent Seven for is its theme tune. It's played... Not it's sort only played of, over the credits and yeah, a bit. I read a bit. That, yeah, that it's it plays a bit with the whoever did the score. You uses some of the themes and the lifting and the, yeah. all that. But nah, you should if you're gonna call your movie the Magnificent Seven, just do it. Like, don't yeah. bother cast all white guys. And, and I like who is this for? Like teenagers, I presume don't like westerns, and so I really don't know who this is appealing to. Mm. I looked up the box office here, so it 
kind of will probably more or less just about break even. Um, I don't know. Will Asian people go and see this movie? What's the Asian representation in, oh, the, in the cast like? Yeah, it's gr- it's grand. Like yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe maybe, that's why, maybe that'll yeah. save it. Uh, but anyway, um, the. Yeah, I don't really have a movie moment of the month this month, so maybe we'll just skip that bit. I didn't really either. Anything kind of from yeah, I think Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah, I think my movie of the month is uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, probably the Lord of the Rings bit was what made me smile the most, and yet I'd already seen it. Mm. Uh, anyway, quick mention for what's coming down the tracks. Coming down the tracks, the girl on the train. Nice. The tracks, good pun there. Uh, it's out on Friday. Neither of us have got to see it yet, but this was the, I don't know, the biggest book of the year, kind of big blockbustery kind of thing from last year. I read it while on holidays. It kept my attention. It has a stupid ending. Um, <laughs> I suspect the film... It did actually... It was nice. I was like, I actually kind of can understand literature now if I can see plot holes and see how badly structured books are. So I was like... Is, this, is it this year's Gone Girl? Um, well, this is what... This is exactly what it's been pitched as but it doesn't feel like what they're saying is if you give Gone Girl to a much more inferior director than David Fincher and took out any of the weird power struggles or so anyway I'm I'm looking forward to see to make up my own mind from it but it looks kind of a bit trashy and fun but there, the marketing for it is absolutely everywhere. My dad saw. He's like, "Oh, that uh, film about the 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 girl on the train." I was like, "He may have he said only clued he may have said the, the one about the girl on the train." I'm not sure, <laughs> but anyway, it's the sponsor sting for the TV show Tipping Point. You know that show where people drop, they press a button, and these oh, big coin things brilliant. drop in. Yeah. So when you watch Tipping Point, you get a sting before and after the ad break saying sponsored by. The girl on the train. I think it's I also before uh, Gogglebox in TV3. Yeah, so maybe the girl on the train is just doing a splurge and they've decided this is for TV3's ABC1 demographic yeah. and that's just what they're doing. So, And you'll see it on every bus. Emily Blunt is probably... like The, the character in the film is sort of overweight. She drinks too much, so she's got kind of blotchy skin and she's really suffering from, you know, real loneliness, des- like alcoholism and depression and everything. So I'm curious to see to see what Emily Blunt does with this because I think okay. she's a fine actress. But anyway, so, far so that's then. coming out the seventh of October. A week later, on the fourteenth of October, is American Honey, which I'm very excited about, mainly because it's Dara Shia LaBeouf, and secondly because it's directed by Andrea Arnold. Um, we saw Red Road. Feels like ten years ago now. Was it ten years ago? What year was it out? Two thousand and six. So it actually was yeah. ten years ago. Saw it in Cineworld. Uh, it's an amazing film. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think it was part of a film festival, wasn't it? Or did we just... It's a good point. I don't it's know. It's like a preview type thing. I had anyway. a postcard, but... Yeah. And Fish Tank and Wuthering Heights. And the reason I'm naming all of these is because the IFI has got a Andrea Arnold retrospective. It seems a bit early for a retrospective, but um, it's kind of fitting. When you've only... Got when four it's films. your fourth film. Yeah. She's done TV stuff as well since mm-hmm. then, so... I think it could have been great if they could have pulled in some of that. But look, the opportunity to get like Fish Tank was sort of, if you like, early Fassbender. I think it was before Shame and everything before he was on a lot of people's radar. Yeah. Um. So definitely want to check out Red Road is playing next week, October 8th. Fish Tank, October 12th. Wuthering Heights, which I, I really loved did. less. Yeah, I really didn't like it. Enjoyed a lot. Loved how it was shot, but just wasn't yeah. sold on thing. Anyway, so and what, then oh, yeah. a week later, on the twenty first of October, I comma uh, Daniel Blake, which is new Ken Loach film. It won something at the Pam 
it won the they won the it, Palme it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes yeah. and uh, kind of is about the struggle of a man on social welfare and benefits in kind of England and classic kind of Ken Loach mm. back to his roots and um, there's a clip I, I again wish there was no trailer for this film I've seen the trailer before everything in the lighthouse over the last six weeks and if I see Daniel Blake rolling his mouse up the screen in the social welfare office again I'm going to earn the library I don't know where he is. I'm going to be really angry so when that happens in the cinema and when I get to see it I'll be like oh I've already seen it but the film looks incredible mm. looks in- really really special so uh, there are two that we'll probably talk about uh, in a couple of weeks time yep on our 51st podcast if we haven't got divorced yeah uh, is there a 60th wedding anniversary uh, there's there's a diamond oh that must be six. No, silver, no, gold, silver is diamond. Gold, diamond. Ruby is forty. Cool. You didn't get me anything for Ruby. Uh, so the IFI Harathon. Also, we'll give it a bit of a shout out. Uh, preview. Get your tickets booked now because it's in the program. Um, it's on from October twenty seventh to the thirty first. Always kind of a highlight of the IFI calendar. Um, short enough kind of films. Um, there's kind of like a wee taste of what's to come. They've made. They've updated the website and they've. They always have so many that they cram in. It's quite amazing. And they're 16 years in, which is kind of mind-blowing that this is so. Um, one that caught my eye was Headshot, which is from Kimo Stambwell and Timo Tiachanto, um, two Indonesian filmmakers. And it's about Iko Uwe, uh, who we know from The Raid and other things with the elephants. Can't remember what those films are. Uh, Cotton Bong. Oh, oh by Ong Bak. Yeah, was that... I, I kind of zoned out when you were talking there and there to yeah. elephants and I was like, so I'm just talking about Ong Bak. Yeah. Um, I just need to check if that is Eco Uwe. Um, probably not. And here I'm just... No, that's Tony Ja. I'm completely wrong on so, that. So anyway, check out ifi.ie for their hearthon. Yeah. And then to be totally fair and balanced in this, you know, talk of abortion, uh, we'll go to the Lighthouse uh, Cinema. Yes, the Eighth Amendment. We show balance, so we yeah. should get some... Uh, funding they have from a the fantastic or a fantastic a fantastic uh film season that kicked off last week i was uh, kind of pissed off when i was on holidays i missed june uh the elephant man and i was like oh god uh, it's the david lynch season and uh it's kind of running the seams up until christmas basically yeah uh, no complaints here though. is it a Big season if it's literally mirrored with like a, a you know a season of the, the world oh yeah you yeah. know like all of winter is now yeah. In fact, um, so they're basically showing everything he's made, showing Elephant Man, Wild at Heart, um, what else? They everything. I'm Twin most Peaks, excited. Firewalk I, I think me. I revealed this before. I have never seen Mulholland Drive, so it's in there uh, in the middle of November, mm. um, and they're doing chronological. It might also be good to revisit Inland Empire um, in the cinema after like this is now a decade old, isn't it? Yeah, it's from '06 as well. Like that's that's terrible that they haven't got him to direct anything else um but anyway he's busy, busy he's mad with the music the and TV everything and his the marketing transcendental meditation yeah and his the poster and the media for this film is beautiful uh they're just taking some gray hair which is i guess david's hair whether it's a but it's also not twin peaks twin peaks even um and possibly a razor head with mad hair no a little bit no okay yeah, so the highlight for me is going to be uh, Firewalk they should with show, me. They should have gotten the rights to show the entire, the Twin, entire Peaks. Twin Peaks and do it in a weekend. That would be impressive. What would you pay to see it on the big screen over the court? Season one in... Would you pay 40 euro 
if they put it on like sure but I don't three, know if I want to give up that much three time three or four a night Friday, up. Saturday, Sunday I bet they could actually have made a few quid oh it says so yeah um, but I don't know if you'd get you film, never responded to me if you're going to come to Firewalk with me prints um, okay I will have a look at that sorry <laughs> call me out yeah. on the email tell it uh, so that's uh, about it. Um, we'll wrap up. We'll close with a... Have you got a clip? How about we close with a Lynch clip? Nice yeah. Lynch clip to celebrate Lynch season. Would you like to... Tell me what you'd like to pick. Uh, we're going to pick, pick uh, the Dancing Dwarf from Twin Peaks. Why, we from the birds sing a freshly song. And there's the wise music in the air. This is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Join us in the shop.